This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, Ben, MC Hammer traveled from London to the Bay, and I'm traveling from Kentucky to PA. Haha, <laughs> you got that? Uh-huh. And uh, we're going to be together in Butler, Pennsylvania on October the 14th. That's right. October the 14th in Butler at Reclamation Brewing Company. Election College will be live at 6 p.m. And uh, there's other podcasts happening that day as well. It's part of a fine arts festival that's going to be going on in the city. And uh, you can come check us and many other acts out. We'll be on around 6 p.m. on October the 14th. It's a free show, so no need to buy tickets or anything. Just come and support a local business and, uh, you know, Listen to some cousins talk about history. Hey, I can't wait to see some of you there. Election College, episode 228. Abraham Lincoln, the presidential nominee and president. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Woo-wee, Ben. It's been uh, kind of, well, actually kind of a week off for us. (laughs) Kind of. I mean, you know, still took work to hit rebroadcast on those episodes. You know, that was a lot of blood sweat and tears we put into that one yeah and the funniest thing about us getting together because ladies and gentlemen ben and i are in the same room once again right now and we were a couple weeks ago and we had every intention of recording (laughs) a lot but guess what we only recorded what we had to when you have three kids under four running around together and and you're all wanting to run around together too it gets a little more difficult yeah. So at the beginning of the weekends, usually we look like President Lincoln in 1860. Oh. And then by the end of the weekend, we look like him. Well, later. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> President Lincoln, here we come. Well, although you're not president yet. So where we're going to pick up on the Lincoln story is in 1860. On May the 9th and 10th of 1860, the Republicans in Illinois, they decided to get together in Decatur, and a group of them were like, dude, he did a good job, this Abe guy. He did an excellent job debating Douglas, Stephen Douglas, mm-hmm. and why not, well, embellish Lincoln's story a little bit about, you know, splitting logs and rails and all that kind of thing. Yeah, so they give him the title of the rail candidate, and, uh, you know, of course, he kind of feeds into that a little bit. Not that he necessarily is trying to lie about it, but um, they're they're really hammering home that he's a, a country boy, kind of, and, you know, making the frontier sing in his 
uh, presence. And and then in uh, May um, of that same year, so just a couple weeks later, at the Republican National Convention in Chicago, uh, Lincoln has a bunch of friends there, and they they tell him, "Hey, we're going to get you on the the ballot." And they do. On the third uh, vote for the nominee, they get him on there. He beats out a couple other guys that we'll talk about or have talked about or something along the lines at some point. Um, And, and of course, they nominate Hannibal Hamlin to be his vice president as well. And he's from Maine. Um, He had formerly been a Democrat. So, you know, you get a little more of that kind of crowd coming along with the ticket as well. Yeah, so understand getting a guy from out west, because Illinois is out west. Way out west at that point, yeah. Way out west. Okay. Anyway, I have this crazy soundtrack going on. Sounds like This whole weekend. Yeah. Anyway, um, keep in mind, Republican Party, it's new. But if you're thinking Republican in this era, you're thinking mainly, you know, East people like New York, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, that type of ilk. So to get a guy from Illinois, you're thinking, hmm, this is going to pull in a whole section of the country that may otherwise not vote Republican. So uh, some strategery there. But on the third ballot at the convention, Pennsylvania says, dude, I think we're going to go for this Lincoln guy. And what Pennsylvania is thinking is uh, we've got some interests um, in the iron industry. And it seems like Lincoln is going to support protective tariffs. Uh, So it had less to do with slavery. It had more to do with, well, um, Lincoln kind of carries that entrepreneurial business type spirit so let's go with him yeah and as things went on a little bit there was more focus on the slavery issue uh you know we think about lincoln and his presidency looking back on it and know how much of an impact it had on slavery or the abolition of slavery and think that must have been the main issue uh during his run that wasn't all he was running on and, and certainly wasn't uh, the the most important issue on the forefront of his campaign. So uh, they did continue to go on that. And as the North realized more and more that this would be something the South would use against him to not vote for him, which, of course, that is what they used to not vote for him, uh, they put more and more of a focus on abolition as part of his campaign for the Northern people to get on board. Because, hey, if we want to get our candidate elected, we've got to use the most polarizing thing possible to do so. And, well, that's a, a trend that has never changed and was the same before that and everything, too. So uh, it, it just continued in that manner. Yeah. So we talk a lot about this in the 1860 election episode that we did, like, somewhere in the 20s mm-hmm. uh, of the podcast. Uh, but not the 1920s or 1820s, like election yeah. college episode 20 something. Back in uh, back in the old days of podcasting in the 1820s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, but what happened? Just a uh, man. We couldn't have, shouldn't have even recorded that podcast because we can explain it in like three seconds. What happened? <laughs> to the Democrats. Basically, the Democrats they meet for their convention, and Douglas gets the nomination for the Northern Democrats and then the delegates from the 11 Southern states say, um, no, thank you. 
we select John C. Breckenridge and the middle part of the country decides to go with uh, John Bell and well, basically the Democrats split up into smithereens and are not going to be effective on the national front. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Lincoln barely won the plurality of the popular vote, but when it came to the electoral college, he really blew that one away. And we talked about that pretty extensively in the past. Uh, he had 180 electoral college votes and everybody else together that was against him had 123 total. So, so Lincoln wins. He is the clear winner and everybody who hates Lincoln is like, all right, that's it. We're out of here. Uh, we are going to leave the union before he gets in. And of course that makes Buchanan incredibly happy. You know, I'm sure he's thinking about his legacy and the fact that these states are leaving uh, during the end of his term. But, uh, you know, here we go. Confederate States of America, they're forming. Got six of the states that have seceded getting together and joining up. And then Jefferson Davis gets selected as the Confederacy president. And, well, I mean, I would say the rest is history, but it's all history. We've talked about, you know, the Civil War and things like that extensively, but we will talk about the Civil War from a Lincoln perspective here for a few minutes. Yeah, so when Lincoln comes into office... He has a lot of work to do because you've got all these states saying, see ya. And he initially supports an amendment to the Constitution called the Corwin Amendment. And Congress passes this before Lincoln is inaugurated. And the states are being tasked with the responsibility to ratify this amendment. Now, this doesn't happen because, well the states decide to leave and decide to take a more hard line against slavery, um, depending on which region you're from. So this proposed amendment would have actually protected slavery in the states where it already existed. And Congress would say, well, we're not going to do anything about it. And hey, South, you can pretty much rule um, according to your liking. And Lincoln thought, hey, that sounds like a good idea. But as he is on the train en route to his inauguration, he avoids the question. And it doesn't really come into any effect because the southern states are like, we're gone. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we mention and that you know that Lincoln did support the Corwin Amendment because we think of Lincoln as, you know, the uh, the end-all, be-all to the abolition movement. And, yeah, don't get me wrong, he had a lot to do with it. But Lincoln comes in saying, yeah, if we want to pass this amendment, that's fine. Well, you know, we can have slavery where it already is and, and just make sure that, we you know, we don't interfere with the South. And this is kind of a means to not have the South secede. But it doesn't work. So Lincoln's not just coming in cracking heads. He's more interested now and as we move forward in keeping the, the union together and bringing the union back together after it splits than he really is in abolishing slavery. And if slavery is a, you know, the, the topic of slavery is a way to get that to happen, then he's all about it and he's opposed to slavery. But uh, from the beginning, he was not a man who was 
dead set that he was going to abolish slavery. Right. So on March the 4th of 1861, Lincoln gives his first inaugural address, and he is doing just that. He's saying, hey, South, uh, we can do something still. And the South says, no, thank you. And just a little over a month later, on April 12th, 1861, the Confederacy fires on Union troops at Fort Sumter, and this forces the Union soldiers to surrender, and Lincoln miscalculated a lot of stuff. Uh, He didn't realize that there was so much animosity uh, in the South for the Northern states. They saw this as the North being aggressive on the South. So I think even some Southerners to this day call the Civil War the War of Northern Aggression. And then you have William Tecumseh Sherman saying, hey, Lincoln, guess what? We're sleeping on a volcano and the South is is." And the South is preparing for war, and hey, North, uh, you haven't really prepared that way. Yeah, so April comes around. Lincoln tells all the states to send a bunch of troops out to recapture different forts. He brings them in to protect Washington. Uh, and hey, it's time to preserve the Union. Uh, this is still a, a country <laughs> as we see it. Uh, it. We still call the southern states part of our country. So we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen. And uh, the whole protecting Washington thing is a really interesting study. We don't hear about it very often, but there were parts of of the areas around Washington, D.C., which was called Washington at the time, that were actually un- basically under martial law during the entirety of the Civil War, because there were people who wanted to split and go with the South who would, you know, the fear was that they would attack Washington and affect, uh, attack the president and attack Congress and stuff like that. So uh, there was uh, a, bit, a bit more of an enforcement uh, during those times as, than we would otherwise know. Uh, I also have thought before, Jason, about what the, uh, the congressional halls would look like during, during the time of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's no pictures that I know of or anything, but I think it would just be interesting to see you know, a good half of your seats empty because they're awful doing their own thing now. Yeah. All those senators getting kicked out of the Senate. Yeah. And I, I'm even thinking about Maryland because wasn't Maryland yep. officially, you know, I so me growing up in Kentucky, we were always taught you live in a state that was neutral right. during the Civil War, which, which actually Kentucky was very pro-slavery but, and this is on the official you know, stance, this is not the average person, but the official stance was pro-slavery, but wanting to stay in the Union. Mm-hmm. I think that sentiment was felt um, in Missouri as well. But when it came to Maryland, and I wasn't taught this, yeah. but Maryland was very much sympathetic to the South. Yeah. And this is... Um, really the first time that you would see the federal government moving into a state and saying, no, you are not going to do this. So Maryland, big time, yeah, put under martial law, basically, right. because what would happen if Maryland seceded? Right. <laughs> Washington <laughs> would be surrounded by the Confederacy. Right. 
yeah, it, it, it's there were more states that wanted to secede than were allowed to secede. Um, kind of, it, it, yeah, w- that would be an interesting study in and of itself, I think. But mm-hmm. Some other time, probably. So all throughout Lincoln's political career up to this point, it's all about talking to the different parties. It's talking to different regions. It's trying to do the political thing and get people to work with one another. And this helped him to a certain extent. We've talked about that before with his cabinet. They varied. They were very much, um, I don't know if you want to say not unified, but I guess we could say that. They had some strong personalities in there. And likewise, with his commanders in the war, um, you had all these different personalities emerging and people who were not necessarily the most intelligent I don't know if I can say that most intelligent as far as war strategy goes. And uh, there's a lot of podcasts that you could listen to about the specifics there. But think about this, Ben, that there were different issues that Lincoln probably didn't even think about. And one that comes to mind is dealing with foreign governments and how um, Seward, uh, William Seward, was his secretary of state, but he had to deal with countries like Great Britain that the U.S. wasn't doing too well (laughs) on the diplomatic (laughs) front. There's an instance where the U.S. Navy intercepts a British mail ship. It's called the Trent, and this was out on the sea, and... They seize two Confederate envoys, and Britain is like, um, this is terrible. And the United States is like, yes, you're awesome, Lincoln and Seward. And this could have caused Great Britain to support the Confederacy because, you know, it's not cool to intercept yeah. your ship. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of that treading lightly thing that comes and uh the fact that he handled that situation and and many others like it with such kind of poise and knowing how to not play people against each other but yeah pretty much play people against each other uh really kind of shows his his shrewdness as uh the president and as a politician so there's this you know this other piece to lincoln during the civil war that is a little bit conflicting for some folks, especially supporters of small federal government as we go forward, where Lincoln is kind of the first president to really exercise a lot of executive power, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. and maybe even took along some powers that were not actually granted to the president. Uh, But because the the country was in such a state of crisis, uh, no one really minded <laughs> because it was what needed done. And I guess there's a case to be made for that as well. But uh, here we are just presenting history where um, the, you know, the, the idea at the time was the president is kind of, you know, they're in charge of making the clock tick, but they're not actually moving the hands. Uh, they're making sure that the clock is ticking, but not moving the hands. And Lincoln kind of steps in and says, okay, I'm moving the hands. I'm setting the clock where it needs to be. Here's what's going to happen, and uh, we're going to do it, even though maybe there's not a legal way to do it. There's not a, a, a precedent for this. Yeah, and it's very much 
and ends justifies the means scenario with Lincoln because uh, you have his generals who were not necessarily doing that great of a job. And if you go into any Civil War battlefield where they talk about the Union and some of the strategies, um, not every Civil War general was 100% behind Lincoln. (laughs) And not every single one did what Lincoln requested of him. And like Ben said, Lincoln steps in and does every single thing he can do to make sure that the Union stays intact. And that's where we will leave this episode and rejoin Lincoln where he emancipates the slaves. If you haven't gone and left us a review on iTunes, what the heck? Why not? What are you doing with your life that's so important to not help out a couple of cousins who need a boost in their energy? We're up over 100 reviews now, and we really appreciate everybody who has taken time to get that out of the way. The rest of you, it's just an obligation that's sitting on your to-do list. You haven't done it yet, and you need to. Uh, Okay, in all seriousness, we really do appreciate it. So head over to iTunes, even if you don't use iTunes, and leave us a quick little review. And just tell everybody how much you appreciate the cousins. Yeah. And after you leave your review, hop on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, what have you. Spread the love and interact with us. And we will see you, or actually, you will hear from us on Thursday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.